Hello, Chatter Gang, and welcome to another episode of the Chatterstorm podcast. This week, we're talking about new Capenna Championships, upcoming arena tournaments, and the affectionately named CL2 BFBG, which stands for Commander Legends 2 Battle for Baldur's Gate. But before we get to the good stuff, we have plugs. If you're not already, you should follow us on Twitter at ChatstormPod, and you should check out Through the Cinderdivine, our weekly newsletter, to keep you up to date on the standard meta. There is a lot going on in Standard right now, and you're going to need some help keeping up. We're going to be in this Standard for a long time, so the sooner you get to grips with it, the better. And a final quick note from us, all of our content is free, so we hope you love it. And if you do, the best way to support us is to tell a friend to join the Chatter Gang. And with that all out of the way, Sarah, what can you tell us about CL2BFBG? Um, I can tell you that I hate that, first of all. <laughs> so... Can we just, I feel like it's actually shorter to say Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate than trying to remember that acronym. CL2 colon BFBG. Yeah. Um, But anyway, aside from that, the first and most important and best thing that's happened in Magic for a very long time is that one of the mechanics coming back for C, C, I can't even do it, CL... B-G- well, what are you calling it when you talk about it? How are you referring to the set? Uh, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, Baldur's Gate is what I'm calling it too. I think that makes the most sense. If I'm, talk- I'm only talking about it in the magic set sense, so I don't need to say Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate every time. Um, <laughs> Commander Legends 2, sorry. Uh, but anyway... Ruining my flow of excitement for the fact that Adventure is back as a mechanic. Yeah, which was a pretty, I mean, it kind of, it makes sense, but it was an unexpected surprise, right? Yeah, when I was like, just, you know, looking into what was coming out and I saw Adventure, I think I screamed out loud. Maybe not screamed, but (laughs) I was very excited because Adventure is probably one of my favorite mechanics because as you will know I love things that are multiple things so a card (laughs) that is another mini card on the card is just great and yeah it works perfectly because the whole point of D&D is you go on an adventure right yeah it it does it definitely fits Um, so adventure for those that don't know adventure is a mechanic that was first printed in Throne of Eldraine and Throne of Eldraine was a very high fantasy set which like there's clearly similar inspiration to D&D, yeah. which is a very typically very high fantasy as well. Um, so it, it totally fits in the set. Um, and I, I love adventure. My, the Tima Adventures standard deck was, is probably my favorite standard deck that I've played. It's the deck I put mm-hmm. the most practice into. Um, I've tried to play Tima Adventures in Historic and most recently in Explorer as well. Um, I can tell you that, again, it could just be me, but I have like a 30% win rate with the deck in Explorer. <laughs> I, I do not think that it quite makes the cut. Um, uh, it does, however, open up the possibility of an adventure-based commander, which mm-hmm. is something that I have wanted for a while. The closest one would have been Tulane, Teller of Tales, but Tulane is such an overpowered commander that I never wanted to build it. So maybe that opens up some commander deck building possibilities uh, around the adventure mechanic. I would hope so, because I think I wanted to make one. And then I was like, oh, I could just have all the adventure cards and make a five color 
adventure deck and it would have just been garbage. <laughs> yeah, it probably would have. Um, that said, the adventure cards were notoriously very strong. Throne of Eldraine mm-hmm. in general was a very high-powered set, and some of the yes. cards that were printed in that set went on to dominate standard pretty much until they wrote it out. Think like Brazen Borrower, um, Bone Crusher Giant. They went into every deck that could support them because they were yeah. just such high-quality cards. So adventures have historically been very strong, and honestly, it doesn't look like that's letting up. Um, yeah, we've seen a couple of spoilers right for the adventure cards um one of them which you said is mad which i can agree is monster manual so what's interesting about monster manual is it's the first example of an adventure spell that wasn't a creature Uh, so a monster manual is a, a four mana artifact it's three and a green for an artifact that reads you can pay one green tap monster manual you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield and the adventure side of the card is a sorcery called zoological study it's two and a green mill five cards then return a creature card milled this way to your hand so the adventure side not that impressive really however this is a four mana artifact that once it's down you can pay two mana tap it and put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. That's six mana, two green, pay it all in one go, and you can start playing massive expensive creatures Mm -hmm. of any color from your hand, which is incredibly strong. It's going to be expensive, though, which makes me sad. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Monster Manual is going to be one of the... I think this becomes a kind of commander staple now, because you can just... You know, you can tap two mana and put down Eldrazi Titans, Blightsteel, Colossuses. Mm-hmm. Um, Colossi. Things, Colossi. Um, <laughs> uh, things like Tiamat, cards with really strict casting mm-hmm. restrictions, which you may not have the mana to. Even Although, you know, mana is actually generally really good in Commander. But still, not having to pay it is still better than paying it, even if you can. Yeah, and you know, there is probably a ton of ways that you can untap Monster Manual and do this multiple times. The adventure side of the card, you know, lets you find a card which you can then get back. It's it's fine. I don't think it's actually really ever going to be played because I think that there's a lot more you can do with three mana and the actual card itself is so powerful that I think that that's what you want to do. I'll definitely play it because I don't know... Do you remember the self-imposed rule that I had with adventure cards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. It was neurotic <laughs> and insane. <laughs> oh, thanks. In which I would have to play the adventure side before I played the creature. So I would mm-hmm. wait, even if the adventure side, I would wait for that to be relevant before yeah. I played what could have possibly been a good creature because I didn't want to waste it because this is the thing, multiple things. Go on and get your value. So you best believe if I, no, let's no, be realistic, no, no when I proxy no. this card, I will be I'll be paying my three mana every time. This is such a hard card to proxy as well, like yeah. writing both sides <laughs> of it. Oh, I wonder if, um, if I can, I will try and see if I still have a picture of the Brazen Borrowers that you proxied. 
um, <laughs> back in the day. And I will share them on our Twitter at ChatStormPod. I, I definitely have the photo somewhere. It would just be scrolling back about, I don't know, three years or something. Yeah. And look out for that glorious design, people. This is where works of art. Well, they arguably were a bit better than some of the proxies we do now, but it wasn't even on a magic card. Like, yeah, but some of the proxies I've seen in your decks were <laughs> like, I don't think you even knew what the card was. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've seen some really dreadful proxies out of you and Sam. Sam, no, Sam, I, I always know what mine are. Sam can't read his. Yeah, Sam has a pauper deck. He plays he plays mono green Stompy uh, in pauper, mm -hmm. and before it was reprinted, um, so this maybe a, a year, a couple years ago, uh, Sam had Quirion Ranger, but it was a very difficult card to get hold of because it's not that it's too expensive; it's just never in stock anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so he proxied his Quirion Rangers, and God, it was just absolutely terrible. Like. <laughs> He'd written on the back of a magic card in like a black, really thick Sharpie. And you just couldn't, <laughs> yeah. you just couldn't read any of it. It was just like a mess of squiggles. I actually have a worse one now, um, which is Meat Hook Massacre, mm -hmm. which is just the back of a magic card because I've been meaning to proxy it. And I forget every single time until it's in my hand. And then I have to say, and then pretend that it's not in my hand. Like I've just remembered, oh, by the because I always ask if proxies are okay. But then I'd be like, oh, by the way, guys, I, I have a card um, and it's just a backwards magic card, but it's Meat Hook Massacre. Um, but I always no. forget until it's in my hand. That is <laughs> absolute <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> you, you have a blank card in yeah. your deck, which yeah. once you draw it, you tell everybody, oh, it's a Meat Hook Massacre. Like, it could, no, you could just say anything. You could yeah, say that why, it was anything you wanted. That's why I tell people before I play it, because I just always forget. I always ask, are proxies okay? Um, but I always forget that my Meat Hook Massacre is still unproxied and is just the back of a card. And I forget until I draw it, and then I have to pretend that it's not in my hand and tell everybody that I have a backwards magic card and it is Meat Hook Massacre, so I'm not pretending that it's anything else. Because, yes, it does. Otherwise, it would just look like I'm like, oh, this is my whatever's needed right now card. It's a ridiculous scenario. <laughs> that is not it how is. you proxy, people. That is not how you proxy. No, it's not. It is not. It, is. it isn't. <laughs> but it's, it's been fine every time. I guess I just play with nice people. Or they secretly hate me. It's not a secret. <laughs> but yes, I will proxy Monster Manual correctly and I will be zoological studying every time before I play it as an artifact. Zoo zoologically studying? Yeah, that works. Completing my zoological studies. I love that. Anyway, we'll go in a bit off topic although can i just talk about really quickly the other adventure card that we've had spoiled um yeah which is just called sea hag and the creature is just hag and i'm assuming that's a D, &D thing but i just i just feel a bit sad well it's just a hag. You, no like a hag is a thing that has kind of been used as an insult it'd be like if i were to like if, if you don't get offended for a pig when it's called a pig. 
no, I know. I just haven't seen hag yet as a creature type. And it's just like, she's called sea hag, her creature's hag. Like, it's just, they've just slotted it in wherever they can. <laughs> they just really want you to know this thing is a hag. But no, a hag, hag is a thing. A hag is like a, uh, a, a known mythological creature. It's not just an insult. No, I know. I do know that. But it's just, I just feel like I was just affronted by her hagness. Um, but anyway, I could talk about adventure and how much I love it forever, but um, I won't. Uh, other returning mechanics is Myriad, which I hadn't actually come across before. So correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. Myriad is when a creature you control with Myriad attacks for each opponent other than the defended player, you can create a token copy of that creature and it can attack another opponent or one of their planeswalkers basically yes so if you have a creature with myriad and you swing at one of the players in your game then you create two more copies of that creature and they swing at the other two players or a planeswalker that they control and usually myriad creatures will have an etb effect or a uh deals combat okay. damage effect of some kind um because that's you know that's mm -hmm. how you get maximum value out of them they're pretty rare because it's a very powerful ability like it, yeah it's it's very strong uh, because you can kind of you can myriad every yeah. turn um by just attacking it's not like um you sacrifice the original creature so yeah it's a very powerful ability usually like quite cost prohibitive like the creatures with myriad tend mm -hmm. to be pretty expensive because yeah it's a uh, it's really strong i'm not sure like if i make if, if it makes sense to me why it is in this set but it is definitely a commander mechanic so yeah i think that is it um and then of course dungeons are coming back uh in particular one kind of bullshit dungeon called the undercity um but so far the only way to get into the Undercity dungeon is with a brand new mechanic, which is called Initiative. Initiative is similar to Monarch, which basically means a player has it and you can take it from them in various ways. So there are three ways that you can gain initiative, um, either with a card that gives you it when it enters the battlefield, uh, if you deal combat damage to a player who has initiative, then you take initiative. And then this other way, I'm going to try and explain it in the best way that I can. If you have initiative and you leave the game, not on your turn, then the player whose turn it is gets initiative from you. If you leave the game and you have initiative on your own turn, then the next player in the turn order takes initiative from you. That is how you get initiative. What initiative actually is, is it gives you the ability to enter the Undercity dungeon uh, at the beginning of your upkeep and also when you initially get initiative. So you get initiative, you'll venture into the Undercity and then every time on your upkeep that you still have initiative, you will also get to venture in the Undercity and then there will be certain cards that are just better when you have initiative. Don't think yeah. we know what any of those cards are going to be yet. Yeah, I don't think, uh, well, 
there's spoilers coming out constantly at the moment. I don't think we've seen any cards that care about you having initiative. Uh, but by the time that this episode is out, there could be several. Um, so for those that haven't seen it yet, the Undercity is a new dungeon that, as we've said, the only way we've seen to get into the Undercity so far is to get the initiative one way or another. Uh, there may be other ways to enter the Undercity that we haven't seen spoiled yet. But the Undercity dungeon itself is a five-tier dungeon. There is a ton of different rooms, and there is a ton of value in that dungeon. It ranges from putting two plus one plus one counters on a creature, to making a treasure, to drawing a card. Um, and the, well, notably, the first and last rooms of this dungeon, I think, are really good. Um, so the first room is called Secret Entrance. Um, and when you enter Secret Entrance, you search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And I really like this for Commander, because in the spirit of making Commander a fun-first format, um, somebody at the table being mana-screwed is just always really disappointing. Right. Uh, in fact, our playgroup has put rules in place, like uh, homebrewed rules in place, mm -hmm. to try and prevent that, to let people hit their land drops a bit more consistently. Um, with this, I think that there is an element of, um, like, if let's say you've got the initiative and a player across the table is not hitting their land drops, and you know that they're just they're just basically not yeah. in the game from like turn two or three. You can let them hit you with a creature mm -hmm. and then they get to find a land. And so you can kind of, it gives you more opportunities to try and make sure everybody has fun because that first, that very first room addresses a very yeah. common problem in, in commander games. Like once you fall behind with your first couple land drops, you just fall so far behind it can be. You're basically just watching people play commander at that point. Exactly. So I think that this gives um, an, uh, like a, a, a fairly good way, th this provides us with a fairly good way to let another player maybe take the initiative off of somebody who, who's, who's got it mm -hmm. um, to try and hit their land drop and, and smooth out the game a little bit. I don't know if that's the kind of thing people would do. It's the kind of thing I would do. Yes, yeah, um, so I, I was thinking, sure that everybody's having fun. like I would definitely do that, but then what's the rule? Do you then have to give it back to the person? Like, give initiative back? Because once they're in the dungeon, it's gets, like, it's really good right throughout. Like, the more they can do stuff, the better. So if you were to give, yeah. if you were to let somebody take initiative from you to get a land, would it be under the basis that you, they had to give it back to you? Well, this is where the politics of Commander comes in, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I think that would um, that would be what I would do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, but that's just because I'm a nice person. You know. <laughs> uh, now, the final room of Undercity is called Throne of the Dead Three, and when you get into Throne of the Dead Three, which there is five tiers to the Undercity dungeon that you have to get through before you get here. So, mm -hmm. if you get the initiative and you do nothing else. Um, and nobody hits you, it's going to take five turns, yeah. five upkeeps before you get this trigger. And you reveal the top 10 cards of your library 
Put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. It gains hexproof until your next turn. Then shuffle. That is mad. Yeah, that, that is, is a mad. really, really strong mm -hmm. ability. It's pretty hard to get, but everybody at the table can get it. Like, let's say somebody gets initiative, and then in that turn, like that round of turns, let, let's say everybody gets the initiative and on everybody's turn they hit the person with initiative and they take it themselves yeah. and that means everybody could kind of get through to throne of the dead three five turns later yeah. all at the same time that would that would be really cool actually i would like that it's mad yeah i think this is a, a this is a really powerful like this is i think this is easily the strongest dungeon yeah I, of all of the ones we have i don't think us. the dungeons so speaking of the old ones they weren't particularly great right like they were kind of no they were very underwhelming yeah so mm -hmm. it, they've kind of gone at least they've listened and this one is yeah is is great i haven't actually seen if there's any new there are new dungeons i haven't seen them though i don't know if they're any better but this is mm. this is really great yeah this is really strong and you do not have to actually use the venture mechanic to enter it no. as long as one player at the table gets the initiative then you can, you know, um, you can go and venture into the Undercity. So I think that whether you're a venture player or not, it's worth being familiar with what the Undercity does, yeah. what options are available to you, because you, I think you're pretty likely to run into it whether you play dungeons or not. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then the last new mechanic is background. Each one will give your commander a bonus that will help them and therefore you in the game yeah so how this works is that it's um it's a reskinning of partner basically um but not quite where, where partner allowed you to have two creatures be your commanders um there are cards in this set that allow you to choose a background so if you have that card as your commander and it reads choose a background then you can have a background which works just like a commander um, it sits in the command zone. The background defines the color of your deck. So if you have a blue commander that says choose a background and you have a black background, then your whole deck, your color restriction for your deck is blue-black, mm -hmm. not just blue. Um, all the backgrounds we've seen have been enchantments, yeah. which is a little different to partner as well. Um, and they can be played as normal cards as well. They can just be... Um, like enchantments in your deck, but that's kind of the idea. It's a it's a reskin of or a rethinking of the partner mechanic, um, which has I don't know. It's it's kind of been a, a little bit controversial um, within the community because partner is really strong. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really strong mechanic, and the the problem with the partner mechanic is that if Wizards printed any more partner cards, all of the current partner cards get way, way stronger yeah. because you have so many more options. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the challenge. Like This is clearly a mechanic that they want to experiment with. But if you print any more partner cards, then all of the historic partner cards, which are already very powerful and very expensive, 
um, all of them get even more powerful and even more expensive. So they needed to rethink the mechanic and reskin it in a way where they could print partners without having this problem where they have a knock-on effect on all of the historic partners. Yeah. Um, and this is the way that they've done it. I have to admit, I'm not actually a huge fan. What do you What do you think of, um, of backgrounds? Well, I thought it was quite cool. However, until you started talking, I didn't make the link with partner. Um, and I agree, partner is is stupidly strong. So, and it is, yeah, it can make decks massively overpowered. Um, but I do, I mm -hmm. like the idea of one, being able to add another color to your color identity, because I've had, yeah, I've had decks where I've like really wanted to put certain cards in and I can't because they're a different color. So I do like the idea of being able to add, add another color to your color identity. And I think the, this version of partner, which it kind of is, I think is better than partner. So maybe won't have such a negative response from the community. Um, well, we will see, but just to give you guys uh, an idea of what we're talking about, one of the background enchantments that's been spoiled is Noble Heritage. It's one and a white for a legendary enchantment background. And it reads, commander creatures you own have, when this creature enters the battlefield and at the beginning of your upkeep, each player may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control. For each opponent who does, you gain protection from that player until your next turn. So they're powerful enchantments that usually like um, affect, well, they always affect your commander in some way. Mm -hmm. And I do think that from a like flavor perspective, I really like these. Like you, you have to, you know, you define the background of your D&D &D character um, and that's a huge part of the game. And this lets you kind of define a background for your commander. And I do think there's massive opportunity for people to get very invested in the lore mm -hmm. of their own commander deck building. And I, I do like that. Um, and, you know, one of the things I like is that... Uh, the So if you look at the artwork for the background cards... Um, they all feature characters, but none of the characters' faces are visible. Yes. And the idea behind this is that you're supposed to be able to kind of project your commander into that position. Um, so, yeah, th there's no actual, like, named characters showing in, in any of the art. Um, and I do like a lot of that, but I think mechanically, I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not so sure about the about background as a mechanic maybe this is me being a boomer but enchantments do not belong in the command zone it feels it feels a little wrong to me it feels the same it it just it reminds me of companions it reminds me of partner um it reminds me of eminence the ability um, and all of those things are disgustingly powerful and format warping. And I am expecting backgrounds to 
either be the same, which I wouldn't like, or be really disappointing because wizards are really trying not to break things, which I think I guess would be preferable. But I just don't I don't know. I, I really I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical about whether these backgrounds, once we have like full spoiler available about whether I'm I'm gonna like them or not. So I I get what you're saying and, and I do agree, but I don't think anything is format warping in Commander. Maybe in CDH but in casual local game store commander games, I don't think that anything is format warping. Like, yes, there mm. are pe- people that play partners or companions. There are some people that play companions illegally. Josh. You have a proxied card in your deck <laughs> that is blank. <laughs> but it's always the same card. I just keep forgetting that I need to proxy it. We don't know that. You could draw it and be like, oh, guys, remember that Meat Hook Massacre? Yeah, I actually swapped it to a counterspell. Um, so anyway, I cast well, counterspell. In, in, my, like, in my black-white deck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, know, yeah, fine. Don't, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about, about rules, about deck-building rules. Fine. But You've played oh. 130 cards in a commander deck before. 132, and I didn't know, and neither did you. You told me that it had to be at least 100 cards, and I was new to commander, and people kept giving me really cool cards, and I didn't want to take any of them out. <laughs> it was only, I think, when we put our decks next to each other that I was like, oh, this is out of hand. This, yeah. is, this is not good. And then, yes, but that was unknowingly illegal. I feel like you knew about Yorian. You just were hoping none of us would question it. Like your none of you did. Like your all the stuff bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a heck of a misruling. Yeah, for quick content, Um, all this dust. He told us that it destroyed all of our lands as well. All of dust destroys anything. Cut like anything with all colored permanents. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, but you know, a new player wouldn't necessarily think immediately that lands are colorless no i mean i wouldn't uh, like they don't that's why none of colorless. us questioned it yeah but yeah I, I feel like you knew both times and you were just hoping that we wouldn't be smart enough to question well it. i feel like you have a blank card <laughs> in your command deck that you just say is whatever card you need at the time no, it's always meat hook massacre <laughs> I, I promise that i promise it is always meat hook massacre but i will i will actually make it into a equally awful proxy but at least it will say the name um, but <laughs> yes, I don't think that anything can warp a commander format because it's just so massive. There's so much of it. So I, I, I think these are cool. They are powerful. We've only seen two. Well, the other one that's been spoiled as of recording time is Cultist of the Absolute, which is uh, a single black mana for a legendary enchantment background. And it reads, commander creatures you own get plus three plus three and have flying death touch ward pay three life and at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice a creature this one is way more powerful yeah i think this is much stronger uh so it's kind of designed to give your commander a bunch of buffs but at the cost of you having to sacrifice a creature every upkeep Mm -hmm. but as we know with cards like viscera seer free sack outlets are great commander like the the right deck um will have like for the right deck 
Cultist of the Absolute will be nothing but upside. Yeah, I mean, if I... So I have Taser, which has a fair amount of sacrifice in it. This would be amazing in that. So as far as I'm aware, you couldn't play this in Taser because Taser doesn't let you choose a background. However, you could but play you, this in the 99. Yeah, that, yeah Taser, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. Plus Taser, and it gives you a free sack outlet each yes. upkeep, which is fine. Um, but really, like, if, it, if this is your background, you can play this on turn one. Yeah. And then as soon as your commander comes down, it starts sacrificing things for you. And it has plus three, plus three flying and death touch, which uh, is very relevant. If you're playing a game where, uh, so we normally don't play with commander damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are playing with commander damage enabled, then plus three, plus three flying and death touch is pretty decent buffs. Yeah, for example, if I did have it in Taser, that would make her an actual worthwhile commander to hit with because she's a 2-4, so I don't even think yeah. I would swing with her if if I was playing with commander damage because uh, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really be much point. But all of a sudden, she's a 5-7 flying death toucher. Great. Yeah, absolutely. But I still don't think format warping. Okay, well, we will see. I think it's either going to be format warping or an absolute flop. Um, (laughs) I don't think there's really much middle ground, but we'll see. Fair enough. Well, that is it on the mechanics side so far, anyway, for CLBFBG. See, it's really hard. You know what? I think... think What's better is CL2, B, and then the number four, okay. BG. B4, yeah, okay. CL2, B4, BG. CL2, B4, BG. That is easier, actually. Why is that oh, easier? Don't forget the colon in between the L and the B. Do you have to say colon? Yeah, CL2, colon, B4, B, B, B. It's a Wi-Fi password. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's why why it's easier to remember. Um, but... Whatever. That's it for the mechanics. I know which one is my favourite. I'm sure you can all guess. It is adventure. But what about you, Josh? What one is your favourite or the one you're most excited about? I don't know. I don't like background. I do like Myriad a lot, especially for the Flicker deck. Um, You know, if there's a Myriad creature with an ETB Mm -hmm. ability, that that seems real strong. Um, I think initiative is my favorite. Yeah. I think for the game as a whole, I think that initiative is a really cool include. Um, it's another thing you have to track on top of Monarch, which is a little bit annoying. I think if you had initiative and Monarch, then that's really strong. The player with the most evasive creatures yeah. getting initiative and Monarch every turn seems super strong to me. Um but I think I like initiative a lot. I think that there are ways where there are ways that you can use initiative to just make the game more fun for everyone. So uh, that's my favorite. Fair enough. And we sort of just jumped straight, in, straight into the mechanics. But in case anybody isn't aware, uh, Battle of Borders Gate comes out on the 10th of June. And there are like lots of spoilers pretty much every day up until then. Uh, So I'm sure we will be talking about some specific cards over the next few weeks. But I think for now, that is enough on CL2 colon B4 BG. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then let's talk about standard a little bit. Or maybe not so much standard, but arena. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, I suppose Arena, uh, because the new Capenna Championship is taking place this weekend. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be all over by the time this episode comes out, but it's currently on, and there's some interesting stuff that has happened um, leading into this tournament. So ahead of the tournament, every pro has to submit the standard and historic deck lists that they're going to use for the entirety of the tournament. And it's interesting to look at how those, um, like how the metagame is split. So over a third of the metagame is Esper midrange, which is, it makes sense. Like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, how Rafine was changing mono white aggro into an Esper midrange deck. And it is by far the most popular and strongest deck in standard right now. Mm -hmm. So that's not really much of a surprise. Um, But there are some decks in this tournament that are weird. Um, (laughs) That's such an interesting choice of word. Weird. (laughs) Okay. Well, bear with me (laughs) while I I explain it. One of them is Grixis Vampires, which is a mid-range deck. um, And it's just... It, like not many people are playing it. Uh, let me see how many. It's it's really it's twelve decks in the tournament are playing it. That's five point four percent of the meta. Um, so it is a solid deck, but I just I well, we haven't I haven't really seen much of this deck. It's definitely not a highly played deck on the arena ladder. It's it's never been um, in like the top eight most played decks yeah, from do, my meta game research. The tribal decks usually do very well in standard i wouldn't have thought so right usually not you're you're right usually not the reason that this one does is because of one single card which is the linchpin of the vampire um tribe archetype okay in this deck and that's evelyn the covetous um which i'll i'll read out it has the worst <laughs> mana cost yeah i've just seen ever it. to read out i'm, I'm intrigued uh, how you're gonna two, do this it's two, a black, a hybrid blue-black, and a hybrid black-red. Okay. Um, so it's five mana value, and you could pay uh, two black-black-black or any combination of two blue-black-red. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a legendary creature, vampire rogue. It's a two-five, and it has flash. And whenever Evelyn the Covetous or another vampire enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of each player's library with a collection counter on it. Once each turn, you may play a card from exile with a collection counter on it if it was exiled by an ability you controlled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color ah. to cast it. It's a, it's a mouthful, right? Yeah. But basically, this is a 5-mana 2-5 with Flash. When it enters the battlefield, draw two cards. Mm-hmm. And every time a vampire enters the battlefield, you draw two cards because you're exiling the top of yeah. yours and your opponent's library. Um, so that is what makes this uh, the vampire tribe worth it. Every vampire that you, that you play is suddenly drawing you two cards, yeah. and that's actually really strong. Mm-hmm. And taking cards from your opponent um, as well, which I think is is also important, right? Like if every turn, you know, what? I really don't think that it you is. Don't. Like you're not you're not going to mill your opponent out this way, so it doesn't. Honestly, like so, I think 
but like every turn like the whole point right is tribal so you want to be playing a vampire mm. every turn imagine i mean i'd be pissed if every time it was my opponent's turn they were taking my top card so this is i think um well, how do i put this delicately you never put um, anything delicately this... so don't start now <laughs> this i think is um inexperienced player mentality oh <laughs> it's like you know when somebody is new to magic and um when they're made to like mill cards off the top of their library they get upset by the cards that are going into that library um that doesn't matter like unless you're actually going to get milled out Milling cards off the top of your library is almost always negligible, um, especially in a constructed format where you have multiples of every card. It really yeah, it makes okay. no difference. Like you are gonna, yeah, like because like it, it you, so you can't see what's on the top of your library, so it, it really makes no difference what you lose off of the top uh, if you're not actually gonna get milled out. Yeah, I guess if you have three or four copies of most cards in your deck, you're not as upset. But still, every turn though. Yeah, it's still it's still fine. It's it's still negligible. Oh, it's um, fine. But, but what's powerful about this is it drawing your opponent so many cards. Yes, um, it's a, it's a huge source of card advantage, and that's why it's strong. It's not strong because it steals your. Cards. No, it's strong I'm, because I'm it's strong. Sure. No, okay. For clarification, it is strong because it draws you the player two cards every turn. It is annoying because it takes a card from your opponent each turn. That's my that's my it's stance. Not, not annoying. It is annoying. It's just negligible. It's not negligible. <laughs> it's like a little bit annoying. It, it's, it's only annoying if your opponent like beats you to death with your own win con this way. And and even that is not really annoying. Like that's just you being salty. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> but next time we're eating together, every time I eat something i'm going to eat something off of your plate as well and then we'll see how long before you get annoyed well that's fine if i have enough food that there's no <laughs> way that i'm going to run out hmm. which is yeah that would need to be the case like if you're milling your opponent out with evelyn then fine then yeah it's it's annoying um, but that's really not what the card is doing if i had if i had infinite fries then yes you can have as many as you want <laughs> what about if each fry has a different flavor so there's a chance that you won't get to have the flavors of fries that i'm having because i'm taking well i'm not going to eat them all anyway that's the idea like when you play a game of magic you do not use every single card in your deck 99 percent of the time um so doesn't yeah, matter okay, if you fine. lose them fine yeah fine oh it's still a great card and i wouldn't i wouldn't be upset if someone played it against me but i just i do think we should just acknowledge the slight annoyance of having a card taken from you every turn. No, I reject this. <laughs> the other niche deck that is seeing play is land destruction. Oh. Which is it's very it's in a very interesting spot at the moment. Um, because there is no hard land destruction in standard right now. There's only soft land destruction. Things like cleansing wildfire and dire strain rampage and uh Baseju who endures and um field of ruin these are all cards that have effects which let you destroy a land but then let that land's controller search their library for a basic land yeah. and put it onto the battlefield um so soft land destruction which is garbage like it's not a powerful effect 
why is it being played in the New Capenna Championship? Because nobody's playing basics anymore yes. in standard. Yeah, this is the we've seen this on CGB, right? He uses a lot of mm-hmm. soft land destruction because he's fairly certain that once he does it once or twice, they're gonna run out of basics. And yeah. they do. Which is mm-hmm. I, I quite I quite like that. I'm iffy about land destruction, but I actually think that's really funny to, and this is a yeah. really funny way to do it because you're basically going, well, if you had basics, you'd be okay. But because mm-hmm. you're so, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but you're your fancy lands, you suffer. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. I actually, I really love this strategy. Normally I do not like land destruction at all, but this is only punishing to players who have greedy mana bases. Yeah. And so I actually really yeah, like this strategy. Yeah, I, I, quite, I quite like that. So for context, in the New Capenna Championships, over half of the decks submitted, over half, have two or less basic lands. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so this, is, this puts the land destruction decks in an interesting spot. Yeah. Because when you play in one of these tournaments, um, well... You don't play against half of the field. Yeah. So really, I think, I don't know. I really feel like these land destruction decks are going to have incredible matchups mm-hmm. against half of the decks in the tournament and horrible matchups against the other half. So yeah. we will see but that's, how they do. That's interesting watching, right? Like I, I prefer, I don't watch a lot of competitive magic, but the re- main reason that I don't is for the times when there's like two decks and it's just mm-hmm. like a 50, 50 split and it's just really boring. So yeah. I, I like little niche or, or more niche decks like this. And yeah, the idea of punishing people because they want to have their fancy lands is, is a lull. I like it. Good job. Whoever's playing this. <laughs> um, I think what also is interesting is we are in an eight set standard right now. Um, every set that comes out has rare lands mm-hmm. that are printed. Um, in every set that's currently in standard, they are multicolored lands or man lands yeah. from Adventures of the Forgotten Realms. So there are lots of powerful non-basic lands to play. Um, there are, in fact, um, guess, Sarah, how many monocolored decks are in this tournament? Of maybe 250 decks, how many do you think are only one color? Uh, of what, 250? I would say like 10. It is three. I was going to say zero, but I thought, no, I'll guess a number. And I, I would have said, yeah, 10 or less. Because I, I don't, mm-hmm. I think you'd be so restrictive. Well, you say that, but uh, Mono White Aggro is still Ugh. one of the most powerful decks in Standard. Yeah. It's just that, uh, yeah, there's only three pros who have taken it to this tournament because Esper Midrange is just so much more powerful. So the uh, only monocolored decks are Mono White Aggro. Yes, there's three Mono White Aggro decks, and that is it. Well, they, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they're likely to win. I think Esper Midrange is j- just outclasses Mono White. However, Mono White Aggro does have a mm, pretty much, like, I think it's like a guaranteed win against a land destruction deck. Yeah. Because the yeah. land destruction deck does nothing against a monocolored deck. 
But what's so? Um, how many people especially are one that puts on that much pressure? One. Wait, one person's playing Man Destruction. Yeah, there is one guy playing Land Destruction. I oh. think it's Seth Manfield. I'm not 100% sure. Ledge. But uh, I think it's Seth Manfield. So yeah, he has showed up with one, like there is one Land Destruction deck in this tournament. And it's actually in a fairly strong position to like any three color deck, any Esper deck who goes up against this Land Destruction deck is going to have a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that... Um what's the likelihood of the people playing Land Destruction to get to play the people playing Mono White, but actually what's the likelihood of anyone getting to play the Land Destruction deck? Because there's only one of them. So Yeah, this is it. Like, this one Land Destruction player could play nothing but Esper decks the entire time, and yeah. he would be, he'd be laughing. Um, yeah, like, he's the only guy playing this deck, and half of the decks he's going to have to face will be three colors. And it's a, that's a devastatingly good matchup Yeah, for them, I should say. I don't actually know if it is Seth, so I guess I don't know. But yeah, I, I just think it's, I think it's really cool. I think it's, I love, I think it's really I love funny. That. Yeah. Yeah, I think it takes real balls to show up to a, a high-level tournament with soft land destruction. <laughs> Well, I hope they win because that's just great. Yeah, me too. Me too. What a uh, what an upset that would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's what's going on in the Nuka Pena Championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news, we have a few um, key arena events coming up. So tomorrow, I think, there is a play-in event. Um, and it's going to be best of one sealed. Best of one phantom sealed. So mm-hmm. you enter. It's a sealed event. You don't keep any of your cards because it's phantom. But if you win, you get entry into the qualifier weekend, which is on the yeah. 28th. Um, there is another playing event on the 27th, and that's going to be best of three phantom sealed. So you have this weekend and next weekend to try and qualify for the qualifier weekend if you haven't made it up to top 250 mythic. Um, so... There's still a chance, basically. There's yeah. still a chance to get into the qualifier weekend through these playing events. Um, and I would like to um, offer a little bit of advice to anybody who is thinking about maybe trying these playing events um, about Nuka Pen Limited. Because I think there is just a few pieces of advice that could really help somebody who's, who's new to the format. Um, the first thing that I can say, and this really is the most important, is that Nuka Pena, the set which gave us five three-color families, mm-hmm. this is a two-color format. It is, yeah. it is not a three-color format. You should not be trying to build a three-color deck. You should be trying desperately to build a two-color deck, maybe... You find cards that are worth splashing in three colors, probably not worth it. It's Isn't a two that color so format. sad? It is a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that just, because I, so I've only done one um, Nuka Pena, uh, it was a draft, and I ended up with a two color deck with, a, I think, one, so it was black, blue, and then I had like one card that was black, blue, white, and I was like, not knowing this information, I was really like i was really upset i was like oh i've not done the one thing you're supposed to do for 
New Capenna <laughs> Limited, surely, which is build a three color deck, right? And I was I was trying, I was trying to build, um, yeah, blue, black, white, but I just ended up with mainly blue, black, and then it turns out that was fine. I mean, I did, I didn't do particularly yeah. great, but I was just that's just so sad. It's all based on these crime families and actually playing it in its limited format. The crime families don't matter. That's just rubbish. Yeah, it, two colors are just stronger. Um, it's, it's, I know what you mean. It's kind of a weird format design that it's turned out this way, but they definitely are. Yeah. Um, second, your two drops in this format, your two mana value creatures are at a massive premium. Good two drops should be much, much higher priority than they would be in a normal draft. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really matter so much for playing events because they're going to be sealed. But uh, also in sealed versus draft, sealed is much more likely to be three colors. Um, that's worth noting okay, because so you know sealed, you just yeah, it's a lot less refined. So, so it's not that more likely to be three colors. So it's not that in the limited format, the crime families aren't good. It's that you can't draft them well. Um, I wouldn't say that. I okay. would say if you if you could build a, a strong two-color sealed deck, that would be better than the average three-color sealed deck. Okay. Um, but you because just... you don't get to pick your cards, sealed tends to be a lower power level than draft. Okay, I see. Um, and because you, again, because you don't get to pick your cards, you're more likely to need to play three colors to actually make have a, a cohesive yeah. strong deck yeah whereas in draft you have a bit more control and so you should choose to be two colors if you have the choice to be two colors in draft go for it sorry in, in sealed go for it it's probably stronger okay um and finally um the brokers the brokers family the blue white and green um is busted it's absolutely broken white is the strongest color in this limited format followed closely probably by blue followed closely by a green and Hmm. the brokers are just insanely strong Uh, and actually (laughs) i'm gonna say this if you open a sealed pool and you have a reasonable amount of good brokers bant cards yeah just play bant just play brokers um it's that it's so far and away the strongest archetype uh and i've seen a couple of um people attempt sealed runs of uh new capenna i've done a couple of sealed runs myself i mostly play draft uh but it's like 90 percent brokers mirror matches because if you open six random new capenna cards uh with the intention of playing uh, sorry six random new capenna packs with the intention of playing limited you're probably going to have the best cards in brokers because those colors are just so strong. Okay. So two color, unless it's brokers and it's good brokers. Yes, okay. <laughs> uh, it doesn't even need to be good. Honestly, I think a, a good brokers deck is probably better than a really good Riveteers deck. Okay. So in summary, brokers, if it's not brokers, then it's two color and two drops are the best yeah good two drops are are really important in this format if, if you have good enough two drops in the bant colors just play bant that, okay. that's that would be my 
like if you if you wanted to just jump in and do the playing event and see how you do and you've not done any sealed in this format that's what i would do i would open your sealed packs see if you have enough good two drops in the band colors and if you do just play band can you enter the playing events with coins or is it gems specifically sealed because in normal limited for some reason sealed is only gems and draft is gems mm. or coins um, and i don't got any gems <laughs> um, I actually don't know. I I would think not. I, I would think why, you need to enter with Why is that? If anybody knows, I could Google it, but if anybody knows why you can only enter sealed events with gems, then let us know mm. at Chatstone yes, If only we had somebody on this podcast who knew. Wait, do you know? Yes, of course. Why have you never told me? I feel like I've complained about this loads. I say loads every time I remember limited exists and decide to play and then go and you always say play sealed and then I go oh man I can't because I only have 200 gems yeah that's a good point okay so I don't know why sealed you can't play with gold um you should be able to that's kind of bullshit play in events though um so if you want to enter an FNM or a magic tournament there usually is especially when there's a cash prize like there is a qualifier weekend there is a buy-in cost um and so that's how wizards do that on arena instead of rather than letting people pay with coins which they can farm in game they want you okay. to pay with gems because you have to buy gems yeah uh so you, yeah you kind of have to pay that cost um so basically it's just wizards being unnecessarily greedy but it makes a degree of sense yeah. because if this were a paper tournament you would have to pay some money to enter yeah okay that in the world where we accept that wizards are greedy that does make sense for playing events but it does not make sense for just normal sealed, so stop it. Yep, I agree with that. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening. And once again, if you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is share it with your friends who like MTG. We'd also love it if you tweeted us at ChatterStormPod. And if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm SarahSpace22, Josh is SultanJosh21, and Sam, who is not here today, is Sam Farouk. And that is a wrap. We will catch you all next week on the Chatterstorm podcast. Bye, guys. Well, the, this weekend, as we're recording this, the new Capenna Championship is undergo uh, uh, being undergone underwent it's underway it's on underway oh who's the writer here hmm. <laughs> um